Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, here we are in the holidays, in mm-hmm. the midst of it. They're yes. piping the music in to the MARTA stations mm-hmm. like it's some sort of vaccine that's going to protect us. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Yeah, yeah that, that, it, that one that, that it, makes it's me seven suicidal. in the morning, mm-hmm. and, you know, you're trying to listen to your own music or, or get stuck in your own book. At any rate, it's not even December yet, and I'm, you know, I'm already. Well, I understand the train station is is is, uh, is killing your eardrums with Christmas music. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the big thing about Christmas, of course, is the the gift giving, right? Christmas, yeah. the holidays, the the whole whatever you're you're calling your winter gift giving uh, shenanigans. Uh, it, it generally relates to taking something in a box, mm-hmm. wrapping it up, sticking it in a bag, mm-hmm. creating this air of mystery, right? What's inside yes. it? What yes. could it be? And uh, and people get excited about it, right? Right. So in this podcast, we're basically advocating give the gift of an empty box. Well, okay, maybe not necessarily an empty box. And we'll talk about this because maybe you could you could fill this box with uh, ideas, thoughts. And present it as a present. I'm sure that will go over really well. <laughs> Especially with the kids. I mean, they're so cheap. Yeah. Um, I, I drew my Uncle Craig in the gift uh, raffle this year, so mm-hmm. I think I'm going to give him some uh, like a box of ideas, and we'll see how that, that plays out. I think he's going to love it. And I think, I that, think so. that you should, if he doesn't understand it, he's going to have to listen to this podcast <laughs> so he can really appreciate that sometimes uh, one of the biggest gifts is a mystery, right? Right. Um, and, and we can't help but get really excited about a mystery, about what might be inside of a box. Um, and sometimes we approach it, we unwrap it with gusto, and sometimes we shy away. And so we're going to talk about um, that in various forms today. Right, because that is what is always fascinating about a gift box or a mystery box. It's mm-hmm. the mystery. It's not, oh, I want to tear into that thing and get what's in it. And, uh, and granted, we sort of lose track of that, I think, sometimes with our gift giving with the, with the use of, say, like an Amazon gift list and, right. uh, and all this. Cause it's like, cause it's, it's so regimented. It's like, these are the things I want. These are the things you may give me. Please check them off. And, and then, you know, people are cheating anyway and seeing, there's no mystery there, you know, seeing what, what they're going to get ahead of time. But, um, but yeah, mystery boxes in general. Uh, we were ch- chatting about this. We each have like a few different stories that relate to mystery boxes mm-hmm. in our own life. Will you talk a little about uh, the art in your house and at yeah, your desk? Yeah, yeah. We have um, in our house. We have a giant painting, and it's an abstract, and it sort of looks like it could be um, maybe like a an advertising, uh, like a pole or something that is that is uh, has like a little advertisement on it, and on top of that is an envelope that has been attached to this painting and it is sealed and there's no way you could remove it without absolutely destroying the painting. Or if you open it, you would destroy the painting. So but, it is a part of the work. It's not merely right. uh, something that says like, Hey guys, hope you enjoy the piece I made for yeah, you. Yeah, Here's it's, a receipt for the painting. Yeah. Suckers. Um, but no, this was actually something that was given to us by a friend and the, the, we traded out some artwork and, um, so, and, and of course, Jeff will never tell us what is inside that envelope. But as you can see, if you look at it, actually, you can see the corners of the envelope have been played with enough that they've been kind of turned up. And so it drives everybody crazy, and particularly my father-in-law. He <laughs> wants to know what is in that envelope. Uh, and I'm pretty sure he's probably tried to steam it open before, too, and we haven't been home. But... um it does drive people nuts because there's this idea that maybe it could contain the secrets of the world 
or maybe it would, I mean, at the very least, just have something really interesting to say. Right, because it, it contains basically anything in the world until you open it. It, it, it could exactly. have anything, It has right? all the possibilities in the world until you open it, right? right? But could it be a Pandora's box? Could all the ills of the world fly out of that envelope? And, and they can never be stuffed back in. They can never yeah. be stuffed back in. All, all the demons are out there. Um, and then the other thing that you mentioned is a little postcard that I have, or a couple of them, at my cubicle. And uh, it's a scratch-off, like sort of like a... Um, I guess what you call a... a, a like a lottery ticket. Yeah, right? a lottery yeah. ticket. And there's a woman in a beautiful dress, and uh, she's got a big round scratch-off over her head uh-huh. that you could scratch off and see what's underneath, but I refuse to. Huh. I want the mystery. Now, did you place them on there, or did they come, they came They like came that, that way, okay. yeah. Because... Uh, I, I, every time I, I, I walk by your desk, I see those and I'm, there, there is, is a temptation. Like, what's mm-hmm. going on under there? Like, yeah. What is, the, what is going on with that lady? Or in, in one of them, a llama or something? Yeah, there's a llama yeah. too. Yeah. What is, does a llama have a head? Is it, is its head missing? I don't know. I know. Is it, is it a monkey underneath the llama? It, it, and by the way, you've just revealed yourself. If I ever find them scratched, <laughs> I know exactly who did it. Oh, well, I mean, it's really a miracle that, uh, that nobody has scratched it. Cause I, I brought uh, a model airplane to work and it's been broken twice. By mysterious hands. Yeah, so but that's how, just how come because, these mysterious hands are not going after your art? Because that whatever like sort of gremlin we have is interested <laughs> in model airplanes and not art. Um, so anyway, those are those are some examples. And then you have an example of a mystery box. Oh yes, yes, I have a really good one. Uh, this is a story I, ha- I haven't actually told this one a lot, but it's it's such a, a good story. So now I will share it with the world. Back when I was like in junior high. Mm-hmm. Um, my my family went to this uh, Southern Baptist church, and they were big on the whole wait till you're married to have sex. And mm-hmm. if you've had sex already you know, as a junior high kid or a high school kid, um, you you need to sort of regain your virginity, like sort of a new replacement virginity mm-hmm. can be bestowed upon you. And you then keep that one intact until such time as you're okay. married in the eyes of God and all that. So a uh, part of this campaign, if you will, um, we were all issued a little box that was wrapped mm-hmm. in gift paper. Mm-hmm. It was a, the size of a cassette tape. For those of you who remember cassette tapes, uh, the little plastic case that it comes in, it was mm-hmm. that size. Yeah. And indeed, if you pressed on it and sort of felt the uh, the package, you could tell that it was, in fact, a, a cassette box that was wrapped up. Uh, okay. But it's sealed, right? But it's so, sealed. Yeah. And, and then of course the big question is, is what's inside that box? Mm-hmm. Now, now obviously this- What is the purpose of this box? Why do they get it? This box is supposed to represent your virginity, uh-huh. the special gift that God has bestowed upon you. And, uh, you were supposed to keep it and treasure it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and you're not supposed to unwrap it until uh, such so, time as- So when you make love and the Holy Spirit then visits you, you're able to- Unwrap this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, so they were like, "Here you go." Of course, after you've been married. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is a reminder, you know, and it's like a, a metaphor and all. So I ended up sticking this package away for for a long time because, mm-hmm. uh, as it turns out, uh, I didn't actually have to open it uh, until I was into my twenties, um, which is no big deal if you're, uh, you know, if any of you kids listening right now and you feel like some sort of weird pressure to go out there and and have some sex. Let me just tell you, it's not that big a deal. So just, uh, you know, chill out. Uh, it'll all make a lot more sense later. But, but so I'm in my twenties and I'm, uh, you know, I'm doing whatever. And then I realized, Hey, um, this thing happened the other week. So now technically I can open that package and I won't be cheating. Cause I imagine some of the kids took it home and like opened it immediately. Mm-hmm. Cause they were like, Oh, I wonder what this is, what's inside this that I'm supposed to have. <clears throat> you weren't married, right? Like you didn't. Well, no. Okay. I, I just wanted, cause you heard, <laughs> I'm just saying like you're this. 
you know, this was the the idea. No, but... no, no. Yeah, I I didn't. It was it, there were other causes uh, uh, for me not opening that package till I was in my twenties. Right. Um, so, but I'm saying yeah. though, that it's not like you waited and you're like, oh, okay. No, no. You it just, just happened uh, to be like, oh, hey, just, there's, that, there's that package. Right. It just ended up not happening in my life until I was at that, you know, mm-hmm. at this particular age. And then I then I realized, hey, I've got that package. Uh, and so the next time I came home and I went through a box of my old stuff and I found it, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go ahead and open this up. Okay. See what this was all about because I was kind of superstitious about it. Before I was like, well, if I open it too early, what if that jinxes me for life? And then, <laughs> you know, um, even though you don't subscribe to any, of even this though anymore. I don't subscribe to it, you know, okay. and and, uh, and then I was also thinking like, what if there's like this nasty note in it that it's like that's from my youth pastor, and he's like, wow, you really screwed up there, buddy, or uh, or way to throw away your precious gift, you know? I, yeah. I, I don't know. So yeah. I um I so I open it up and the box. Is empty. There's nothing inside it. Like there's not a note saying. I'm shaking my head now. God bless, or a note saying I hope you did the right thing, or you know a, a prize, a gift certificate. I think that's really sad because it. I mean that to me is just laziness. <laughs> because or I, I would think that the church thought so little of the uh, the the kids' ability to retain their virginity that they are like you know what that's not going to happen anyway. Let's not fill it with anything. Well, it would have also been bad if they'd filled it with something perishable like. Uh, some candy or something. Yeah, Cause then I'm like, yeah. wow, they had no faith in us at all. They were like, just go ahead and put, you know, the, the expiration date is next month. Uh, they're probably going to open it tonight. Might as well have a treat in there to keep them busy. And see, so you were disappointed because all of the possibilities ceased to exist, right? I don't know if I was disappointed. Uh, it, it was just more kind of fascinating. Like why, why didn't they put something in it? Was it intentional? I tend to, to think that probably they were just pressed for time. And they wanted to to do something still, but like a far side cartoon, they could have thrown in anything. Yeah, yeah. You know, a, a fortune cookie. Um, uh, what you call it? The little slip of paper. Yeah, with, I don't know. With you your know. lottery numbers on it. I don't know. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't disappointed, and I certainly wasn't like, oh, I wish I had opened this uh, ages ago, literally or figuratively. But yeah, it 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 just shows you though how the idea of something in a package mm-hmm. can sort of captivate your mind for. Years and years on end. Well, okay, so let's talk about... Wait, wait, one more story. Oh, okay. Ben Boland gave me a special gift oh, the other day. that's right. Ben Boland of stuff they don't <laughs> want you to know. Yeah. And and by a special gift, I, I mean he gave me a package, uh, not mm-hmm. his virginity. But um, but it was... Uh, and I didn't know it was from him <laughs> at the time. But I came into work and there was a package and it said, mystery, um, you know, gift... You can choose to open it, keep it, or throw it away, or or That's cross right. out your name and, yeah. and give it to and someone else. And it says else. a mystery package arrives. What yeah. do you do? And I shared this on the Facebook, and we had different answers. Some people were like, "Throw it away, give it away, open it now. I must see what's inside it." Mm-hmm. And it turns it was a book that uh, we had been talking about, but um, but it really captivated my imagination. It will psychologically. Yeah. I think that everybody was like, "What could it be? Could it be something for good or ill will?" Which is <laughs> Essentially, what every box presented to you is, right? And is it a test? I, I was kind of getting shadows of the uh, the the virginity box there because I'm like, cl- am I meant to open this? Am I meant to give it to someone else? So I ended up actually crossing out my name, and putting yours on it. Yeah, yeah. And then you treated you were scared to death of it. Well, but- I was like, what? Thanks, Liam. So then I took it to someone else, and then we crossed it out, and then back, back to you. To me. So it was meant to be, and uh, yeah, it was a book. The, yeah. Uh, Illuminati trilogy. So, yeah. There we go. Which, lovely thing for Ben Bowen to do, yes, I say. Yes. Ben, thanks if you're listening. Yeah. So, okay, let's talk about when you you uh, receive a box that yes. you don't want. And let's say that your name is Enzo uh, Montagna, 
and you live in Genoa, Italy, and you're a port worker who specializes in radiation detection. Ah, this is the um, the, the the story. I believe this was on Wired um, about the yeah, the radioactive cargo container. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shows up, don't know what's inside it, but we know that whatever is inside it is radioactive. Yeah, like basically he, it's just another day, another thousand of these things a day coming in to this one particular port. Mm-hmm. So that's that's actually a pretty sobering statistic, by the way, because if you think about it, there are millions and millions of these shipping containers and cargo containers um, going around the world. So here's this one port, a thousand a day. Enzo shows up, turns on his radiation detector, and the thing goes nuts. In fact, it goes off the charts. And he hasn't even, like, gone into the area mm-hmm. to, to actually try to um, uh, do his security check. So turns out that there is uh, something inside of it, obviously, that is, is highly radioactive, and they think that it could be a, a dirty bomb, and they freak out. And they move it away as far as possible. In the meantime, it languishes on that dock for... Almost a year. Whoa. Yeah, because they're trying to figure out who is going to pay for it. Can we get it? Can we, uh, uh, where did it come from? Can we ship it back? Saudi Arabia from, from, uh, whence it originated was like, no way. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, and, you know, th- and these things are really hard to track. Right? Yeah. And what does it contain? Is it, is, is it some sort of nefarious device? Is right. it, is it just waste material? Is it the Ark of the Covenant? But exactly, yeah. exactly. And it is actually tagged as waste material. There's a picture of the inside. But, of course, when you're looking at all these copper coils, you know, 22 tons of copper coils, something obviously could be put in there and, and you would never discover it. Uh, so anyway, it sat there for a long time until they finally got a robot to go in and um, they used some cameras and they figured out that it was a chunk of cobalt. Oh, okay. Yeah, which was even odder because, um, you know, this is not – some sort of material that you find every day. In fact, I believe that it came from, or at least they're thinking that it came from um, some sort of medical device or a machine used to sterilize food. And it's really expensive to dispose of this sort of thing. Um, but apparently this is just not all that odd that you would have shipping uh, containers with nefarious uh, things inside of it. In fact, that Wired.com... The article, Why is this cargo container emitting so much radiation, said that there was uh, you know, this one guy who they found, and this was just six weeks after mm-hmm. 9-11, by the way. Um, they found him inside of one of the shipping containers because they heard noise and they opened it up. And lo and behold, they found that this guy uh, was hanging out in there with a satellite phone, a cell phone, a laptop, cameras, maps, security passes to airports in Canada, Thailand, and Egypt. And uh, the container was outfitted with a bed, a water supply, a heater, and a toilet. Whoa. Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, okay, it was uh, a little bit odd, right, don't you think? Well, I don't know. I've seen some magazine articles where dudes uh, take uh, a cargo container and transform it into an upscale apartment. Right, right. But he was not, you know, (laughs) some sort of model for Dwell magazine. Right. You know, saying, oh, look at my great postmodern home here. Um, they actually nicknamed him Container Bob, and the guy <laughs> posted bail in Italian court. It was never seen again. Whoa. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and there's been a lot of talk, actually, about the security of shipping containers. And so that remains a, a pretty big problem or, you know, I guess you would say a blind spot in security. Right. And, of course, uh, it, we don't have to dwell much on this, but obviously there are tons of, like, the big thing, the big show today on uh, on multiple networks is the whole uh, antiquers and uh, these people checking out abandoned yeah. uh, storage <laughs> facilities. Uh, 
where they they get to they auction off the contents of abandoned uh, storage uh, facilities. Well, you appear, uh, especially in this economy where people are no longer able to pay for them, too. Right. right. Yeah. And so they're mostly they, filled with nothing anyway. Yeah. But there's always that chance, and people get really into that idea mm-hmm. because they don't say, all right, everybody go in here and check it out and see if there's anything you want to buy. Mm-hmm. They're like, we're going to sell everything. You buy you buy everything or nothing. You keep everything or nothing, and you just get a peek. Right. So, uh, so, so that's, that's a, a great example of people that are just captivated by the possibility that mm-hmm. amidst, in the, in the midst of all that junk and, and leftover, um, uh, material from somebody's life and somebody's, uh, sob story, uh, there's going to be something valuable. I have read that, um, mostly what people find are like stacks of porn. I'm not kidding. Really? Yeah. Hmm. And, you know, maybe there's some vintage porn in there that, that you could sell on eBay. I don't know. But yeah, most of the time it's not anything that that's, that's very exciting. It's not like you get like Hannibal Lecter's storage unit. You I, get a vintage car <laughs> and a severed head. I was thinking of Silence of the Lambs too, because yeah. they're, it's, uh, not Hannibal's, but, uh, like somebody else's, and they have uh, somebody that knew Hannibal, right? Yeah. And there's like yeah. A, a head in a jar or something. So, You're right. It yeah. was uh, Ruskin or something, one of his patients. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I think that was his name. I don't know why I remember that. But in a moment here, we are going to talk about humans as mystery boxes. And, yes. Uh, and we'll get a little more into the science uh, and not just uh, amusing tales. That's right. People in containers. This podcast is brought to you by Intel, the sponsors of Tomorrow and the Discovery Channel. At Intel, we believe curiosity is the spark which drives innovation. Join us at curiosity.com and explore the answers to life's questions. All right, we're back. Let's let's open this up and see what's inside it here. All right, so before we get to humans, we're going to have to talk about cats, specifically a cat in a box. Yes, and this would have, this was one that I think most of our listeners are going to be familiar with, and that is, of course, Schrodinger's cat. Mm-hmm. We're not going to dive too deep into the quantum physics here because, uh, uh but, but essentially this is a, this is a thought experiment, mm-hmm. and it has to do with, uh, the Copenhagen interpretation. Of uncertainty. Of uncertainty, yeah. That was, uh, first, uh, proposed by Bohr in 1920, uh, and it says that a quantum particle doesn't exist in one state or another, but in all of its possible states at once. It's only when we observe its state that a quantum particle is essentially forced to choose one probability, and that's the state that we observe. All right. So, yeah, so it's essentially a lesson in uncertainty in particle physics right. in the quantum world. Right. So here comes Schrodinger in 1935. Austrian physicist. Right. And he puts together a thought experiment. Like thought experiments are often really useful to, to, to illustrate a point and to mm-hmm. make something that's a little, um, hard to grasp, uh, a little more concrete. Right. And the, and the point of a, a thought of an experiment is not to have a solution per se. Right. No, yeah. Nor to kill cats, but to just right. sort of make you think about it. Right. So, uh, in his experiment, he puts a cat in a box along with a bit of, uh, radioactive material, mm-hmm. like, a, and, you know, like we're talking about with this radioactive, uh, container, um, and a Geiger counter. All right. Which is a device that measures radiation, of course. So the the Geiger counter is designed so that if it senses the decay of the radioactive material, and all radioactive material decays, uh, it triggers a hammer, which uh, then breaks a flask that contains uh, acid or poison. There are different versions of this, but basically, mm-hmm. if if uh, if this radioactive element decays, it triggers something that kills the cat. Right. And so, if you were to open that box. That that uh, that the particles are going to have to be in one state or the other. Mm-hmm. The cat is going to be alive or dead. There's no there's no in between. It's going to be one or the other. Either the, right. if that cat has been poisoned, hit with the hammer, whatever, at, had acid poured on it, 
or it's fine and just maybe a little ticked off that you put it in a thought experiment box. But it's unknowable. I mean, essentially, it's unknowable, and you have to sort of accept that this cat is in both states, right? right. And, Dead and don't and overthink it. You you can't listen for the meowing. Yeah, or the scratching. And, and if you start thinking about the hammer thing and the the, the radioactive uh, decay, just just sort of imagine Schrodinger as as a sort of like a peewee of the physicist, like right. creating these little contraptions. Yeah, and he also knew that the more thought he put into actually how <laughs> he also realized that the the more thought he put into into how the cat actually dies, the creepier it would be. So right, He'd, and again, no cat died. This was just a, a thought experiment. Right. But why the reason why we're talking about it is that um, you could give a sort of alternative reading about whether or not um, this really applies to us in. How we perceive reality. Right. Because the, the cat in this, in this situation is in a quantum state. Mm-hmm. It is, it is both dead and alive, but is in both states at once until we open the box and by perceiving it, change it. So there's this question, uh, consciousness of reality, right? Right. Um, it, you know, is there an actual consciousness of reality? Does it only exist until we begin to think about it? Um, or is there just no material reality? whatsoever you know what i'm talking about here so yeah. like in, in terms of like okay are we all just like the cat in the box we're both dead and alive we're both unconscious and conscious right um until we begin to really speculate about life and sort of peel back the layers and begin to to investigate what yeah. it means to be alive or what it means to even be uh part of this physical world yeah does does spain exist if you don't know about it that kind of thing. Exactly. Does the tree, uh, tree make a sound in the forest? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's no one there to, to hear it. All that, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it, that's, that's one of the reasons that the, the, the Schrodinger's cat is so endearing. Well, I don't know if endearing is the word. I think it's maddening but, at it's the same time. It's maddening, yeah. Right. It's, uh, and, but it, but it's such good, uh, such a good cognitive chew toy for everyone because it, it gets down to a lot of, uh, of, of really, um, you know, mind-rending, uh, philosophical pondering about the the state of reality. So you sent me this link to this guy named Scott Aronson. Yes, and and he sort of takes this idea, not not you know, like wholesale, but he applies it to us as automatons, right? Right. Yeah, this guy uh, Scott Aronson came up with this notion, presented at this lecture, uh, and and it's basically a Turing test for free will. A Turing test being something that, that uh, I aimed uh, to gauge the intelligence of a machine mm-hmm. to see if uh, machines can think on the same level as humans. Right. It's also been used in a lot of sci-fi, the, the Turing, Blade Runner and all that. But. Yeah, and the, the, the main question that uh, Turing asked was, can machines think, right? This mm-hmm. was yeah. the initial question. And then he sort of threw that out and said, you know what, that's not even the question. The question is, you know, are there imaginable digital computers which would do well in the imitation game? Right. Right, like he, he basically yeah, he, he redefined the question uh, in terms uh, that it could be actually uh, examined a, a little closer and tested. Right. Um, so, Aronson is uh, is dealing with a similar question, but he's he's interested about free will. All mm-hmm. right, and it also involves super smart computers. And that's what, when we, when we say super smart computers, that's what we're talking about—the imitation game, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So, what does this test consist of? Um, okay, on the surface, it basically means. Somebody would hand you an envelope. Okay. Probably a robot would hand you an envelope. Like ours? Right. And it would tell you, mm-hmm. uh, the, the idea would be if you open this envelope, it'll tell you what you're thinking mm-hmm. or, or saying or doing at a particular point in the future. Okay. It would be like that. It would be like the virginity box if I opened it however many years later mm-hmm. and 
found a note inside that tell that told me exactly where I lost my virginity and how and to whom. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So uh, then with that, and that would be like, whoa! How did a machine know right. that ahead of time? Clearly, I'm if I'm that predictable, if I'm that kind of a system mm-hmm. that can, you know, it's it's like weather. Right. We build these computer models of weather mm-hmm. uh, and and, uh, and atmospheric systems to try and figure out what they're going to do in the in the future. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can only do that with a limited uh, amount of uh, of success with right. only so much accuracy. So could but you we... have data that can continue to bring you back into right. a more accurate system. Right. Right. So what if we we dipped into something like the Blue Brain Project, you mm-hmm. know, the idea of building a working copy, a digital copy of the human mind? Mm-hmm. What if a supercomputer was able to build a copy of your mind and then by analyzing that copy, mm-hmm. that uh, mathematical model of you, mm-hmm. and then they could accurately plan out the rest of your life or, or anything you could p- conceivably do, say, or think, and then tell you, right. uh, make up this note, print it out, hand it to you and say, open this next Thursday and it'll tell you what you did next right. Wednesday. And this is what Aronson is saying, that you could do this in a couple of ways. Like you could continue to do some sort of trial and error process where you uh you sort of get the landscape of someone's brain by asking someone a ton of questions mm-hmm. and then build a model of um predictability based upon that right right or you could do something like the blue brain project which is uh, reverse engineering the brain by building a detailed realistic computer model of the human brain mm-hmm. and it's 100 trillion synapses so then you have this 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 other system that is analyzing the way that you think what how your your synapses are firing and what they're um responding to so, yeah, essentially what, what Aronson is saying, what is so interesting is he's saying, you know, maybe there's not free will. Yeah. You know, maybe there is a, a certain amount of predictability, unpredictability, but it's finite, right? It's almost like the cat in the box. There are only two choices. There is a factor of unpredictability there because it's either dead or alive. Mm-hmm. But it's still, you know, just these one of two things. Right. Right. So through trial and error there, you're going to predict or accurately predict eventually what's happening with this cat. Right. Um, and I'm not saying that's what's going to happen in quantum physics, <laughs> but in terms of how we begin to really think about technology and how it's interacting with us at a meaningful level as we go forward, um, it does sort of uh, beg the question even more about free will. And we've talked about it many times before, but this this is certainly an interesting proposition that yeah. we're pretty predictable yeah, and it, it comes down to, uh, you know, we keep coming back to this idea of um, at what point does science uh, demystify uh, the human experience, mm-hmm. and then how do we relate to that? And then there, it, it tends to, to, to divide into two basic camps. Either it's terrifying or it's liberating. Yeah. Like the idea that, that, uh, that, there, that there's no free will, uh, it either means... Great. There's some maybe there's there's something in charge where I don't have to worry about it. There's not you know I I I don't have to get bent out of shape over the over choices because ultimately there are no choices. Or that's ultimately really damning because you're you're thinking there's no choice in life. I'm just this automaton mindlessly following its programs, making the same mistakes over and over again, uh, doing the same stuff, and there's no changing it. And that's why mysteries becomes really important again, right? Yeah. Because sometimes that's even more important than the actual knowledge because that's how you get to the heart of it. Yeah. I actually, in, in researching this, I, I found a book called, uh, and bear with me, the, the title here is The Triumph of God Over Evil um, by William Hasker of uh, University of Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's actually an interesting looking book. If anybody would like to read like a, a whole thick book 
about the theology and philosophy. This is of comedy, this right? <laughs> it, uh, I think there's a little humor in there, but, but mostly it's like, it's Hasker getting really philosophical mm-hmm. about what, what is, what is the nature of, of free will? How does it factor into the belief in God, the belief in evil? You know, getting into some of the old questions about why would God allow evil to exist? And mm-hmm. all. basically he sets out to justify the ways of God to man, which, which always works well for, for authors. But it looks like an interesting book. So if you're into that, check it out. But, uh, he was actually asking the same question with the same sort of thought experiment. Uh-huh. Imagine somebody handed you an envelope and it, oh, and you opened it up and it told you what you just thought or said or did. And he, he predicted that pretty much anybody would be frustrated and angry and resentful. Uh, upon opening that envelope, even if you agreed with everything it said. And there's a good chance you would not be happy with what it said anyway. But even if you were perfectly fine, you were like, yeah, that's me to a T, you probably wouldn't be particularly pleased. Well, no, because, I mean, we all want to believe that we're unique. And and, and essentially, I do think that we are. But certainly, (laughs) there are some things about humans that are predictable and not so unique. Um, Which, of course, is going to bring me to J.J. Abrams. Yes, yeah. Of course, the mystery box thing... um, he really blew up when he did that uh, on the internet because he did that TED talk mm-hmm. uh, like a year a year ago maybe yeah. no no it was more maybe more because I don't think Lost had finished oh, 2009 at the end yeah. right yeah yeah and basically he was talking about well he was doing a lot of talking uh, and it was it was a little rambly even for me and you know Lord yeah, knows we I don't have ramble, so. Lord knows I don't have a lot of room to talk but uh, but basically his whole point was the idea of the mystery box is is so inspiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was talking about getting this mystery package from a magic store in mm-hmm. New York, I believe. And, and, uh, you know, it's one of these, like you pay a certain amount. It's probably just got some, you know, some garbage in it from the magic shop, some stuff right. they couldn't move. And so they just packaged it up in this and sold it. But, you it's know, like he, the Archie McPhee mystery bag. If right. anybody knows about Archie McPhee, who is Archie McPhee? It's an online, uh, emporium of all things silly. Oh, and you can get, you know, bacon breath mints, so on and so forth. Ah, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So, so his te- whole TED talk, which you can, you can find easily online, TED talk, JJ Abrams and Google search. He was, he was, he makes the argument that the, the idea of the mystery box is what stirs, uh, human creativity and what really, uh, it, 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 certainly his own creativity mm-hmm. and really, um, motivates him to, uh, to create. And you actually sent me a really interesting, um, PDF about curiosity as a memory enhancer, right? So yeah. there's this idea that, 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 uh. It's not just J.A.J. J. Abrams talking right. about how great it is. No, there's actually no. some, some research to back yeah, that up. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, you know, this, this mystery has to be unraveled in our brains. Again, like you said, needs a good chew toy, which really helps us to learn better and to, uh, Get our noggins engaged. Yeah, uh, this uh, particular study was from the California Institute of Technology, and they did some fMRIs on people when they um, uh, there were a couple of different like phases of this, of this experiment. But uh, people while they were reading trivia questions, to, uh, creating mixture of high and low creativity. Um, they measured uh, subjects' pupil dilation uh, and tested their memory recall, and um, and the fMRI showed uh, that uh, curiosity increases activity in memory areas. Um, such as the uh, parahippocampal gyrus and the left inferior frontal gyrus uh, when subjects uh, guess incorrectly, which suggests that curiosity may enhance memory for new information. And it's funny, too. I was thinking about that yesterday. I was working from a coffee shop, and there was a um, a French tutor with her two students. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of like scraggly, I don't know, maybe like 13-year-old boys. And uh, You were working in like a, a Madeline uh, children's book? Yesterday. Yes, yeah, I was. Okay. I was in Paris yeah. and there was a gypsy in the corner that was uh, going to kidnap us all. 
<laughs> but before that, there was a French lesson, and uh, they, you could tell the guys were kind of bored. And I remember thinking to myself, if they had this context of like, okay, this this phrase, this sort of rote phrase of like, how are you doing today? I love this artwork here. You know, these sort of things would might be so much more interesting if their their curiosity was piqued, if their imagination was engaged, if they might think that the person that they were talking to could be, uh, you know, Stephen Hawking or a pretty girl mm-hmm. or an attractive boy. I don't know. Like, you, you know, there are, there are different ways I think that we can play with the blueprint of our mind and the way that we acquire knowledge. And I thought that was so interesting that the curiosity um, about something really does help this this flicker of our um flame of memory and uh i don't know it was exciting to me i wanted to share that with them but i thought better of it yeah well you agree with that i agree i agree yeah <laughs> so yeah mystery boxes i mean I, i'm not going to completely argue that people should should give empty boxes no. and, and you know and it no. will totally go off the gift registry for things um but uh I don't know. There's something to be said for for giving somebody the gift of a mystery uh, now and again. Okay. And so if you really do want to give a gift of a mystery, you actually want to put something in that box. I do have a suggestion. It is a book um, called How to Be an Explorer of the World, Portable Art Museum by Carrie Smith. And I, I recommend it only because there are all sorts of very interesting thought experiments in it that um, I think piques uh, a person's curiosity about the physical world, the emotional world, and how to sort of shift your paradox um, a, a bit. Uh, so if anybody's interested in that and they know someone who might appreciate it, uh, that's my recommendation. All right. Well, uh, speaking of mystery boxes, uh, let's call over the robot and see if we have uh, a quick listener mail to read here. We should really name this robot one day. Yeah, what does is, what is, uh, he, she look like to you? Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Just call it Arnie. Arnie. Yeah. All right, let's see. Opening the folder now. Ah, here's one from... Oh, this is uh, apt. We heard from somebody... Uh, uh, normally, I only read the first name, but I'll just say this individual's last name. It's apparently Christmas. Uh, and uh, so Christmas writes this and says, Hi, guys. Uh, love your show. I studied fine art once and came across an article which contested uh, that separation anxiety in infants is basically the source of all creative activity in humans. This includes religion. Um, the idea went something like this. As we realize that we are not the center of our own universe, that our mother is some uh, significant entity, uh, we cope with this trauma by uh, projecting onto things like dolls and teddy bears. This objectification uh, extrapolates uh, to our belief in deities. I cannot remember who wrote this article, and I probably haven't explained it very well, but I was hoping you might have heard of something like this. Keep up the great work. Uh, I am new to podcasts, and I try to tell as many of my friends about HSW as I can. HSW being how stuff works? Yes. Right. We also say, or I, I catch people, uh, and I catch myself saying HSW around the office, even though it's exactly the same number of syllables as how stuff works. I know, but I kind of like it because I feel like we need to have like HSWU, like university. Yeah. Like it sounds very like university-like. Yeah. <laughs> I go to um, HSWU. Uh, well, the, the idea that Christmas brings up here... Um, <laughs> Is uh, I, I believe we, we actually uh, he's he's new to the podcast, so we may not have uh, run across uh, this yet. But I, I know we've we've touched on uh, on uh, the idea of of like where does the idea of God come from, mm-hmm. uh, and, and where does the idea of the soul come from? I know is the, it hardwired in our brains? Right, yeah. right. Uh, like the cyber immortality episode that we did, mm-hmm. I, I felt like we did touch on, on some of that. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's it's fascinating to sort of. Uh, 
follow the roots of something like that and try and figure out where does that actually come from. And we also have talked about creativity in the brain as uh, as just something that we've evolved to do, uh, uh, neuroplasticity, the idea that we live in this, again, in this world of, of fixed and movable objects and we have to navigate it and creativity is part of that navigation system. Right, neuroplasticity meaning that we can change our brains to a certain degree. It's, it's, it's far actually much more uh, plastic than we thought before, right? Much more flexible our brains are. And in terms of creativity, uh, again, thought experiments. This is a key yeah. element if you want to try to ramp up. Uh, so there you creativity. go. A little more in the uh, free will exists pile. The non positive note. Right, yeah. right, yeah. So, uh, hey, if you want to share something with us, be it your own mystery, gift giving ideas, or something just related to the idea of mystery boxes and our own perception of reality, drop by the Facebook. You can find us on there as Stuff to Blow the Mind, or you can uh, find us on Twitter as well. If we are, we're be sure to check out there. our new video and podcast, Stuff from the Future. The Join House to Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Thank you.